Hello, dental online trainers, and welcome to the Dental Online Training Sharecast. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Hartley. Each month, we'll talk with dental experts who are doing amazing work in the world of dentistry. Also, occasionally, I'm going to throw in a few of my solo bonding sharecasts where I share a little with you about what I've learned along the way during my career. So tune in the first Tuesday of every month to hear the latest episodes. Hello, Dental Online Trainers, Dr. Hartlieb here with you again with our Dental Online Training Sharecast. Today, I am super geeked to welcome in one someone who is new to me, I'll be honest. So, so as I was talking to Diana just a few seconds ago, uh, very often I'm speaking to people that I've known for years, and we have sort of this level of familiarity. I don't want to say intimacy, but familiarity. We've known each other for so long, and we've been in the same at the same meetings, we've been in the same organizations and all that stuff. But Diana is someone who I've been watching off to the side a bit, and I've been really impressed with some of the dentistry that she's been presenting. And she's in a shared study club that, that I am in also. And she put on just a, a beautiful presentation for us recently. Why I wanted to bring Diana into our conversation is because I think she's doing some really awesome dentistry. As she and I spoke about earlier, it's not that she has this golden gift, but we'll talk about that, her gifts, but how hard she's worked. So Diana Tadros, you also see her as Beauty in the Teeth on Instagram, if you're an Instagram follower. Uh, she is a University of Tennessee dental school graduate, right? Go Vols. Were you a football fan? I'm a huge football fan, All yes. All right. So <laughs> I wore my Michigan hat for okay. you because... I don't know if you know this. So uh, Michigan and Tennessee have a little bit of a rivalry thing because oh, yeah. back in the day, you guys had a certain quarterback who was uh, quarterbacking for Tennessee. And we had a certain player at Michigan named Charles Woodson. And your certain quarterback, Peyton Manning, was like the oh, yeah. shoe in for the Heisman that year. And Charles Woodson had an incredible year, He's def- primarily a defensive back, but he also ran back punts and kicks and played on the offense. And he... He won the Heisman, and I was going to actually put up with it. The look on Peyton Manning's face when they said Charles Woodson instead of Peyton Manning is priceless. So, <laughs> so that's always my Michigan-Tennessee little dig. And Tennessee has a huge football stadium. Yeah. Well, I have to make it even more confusing for you because I'm a no born and bred. I'm from Tallahassee. And then I went to UF for residency. So um, but college football runs through my veins no matter which way you swing it. But Florida State is actually my initial <laughs> love. Well, and I was gonna get to that because I know you're you're FSU, Tennessee, yeah. and Florida. Yeah. So you got three mm-hmm. college, you know, superpowers. Right. Yeah. Uh, not so yeah. much today. They're all kind of struggling. Correct. I know today it's sad in the nineties though. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, I was just curious what, uh, before we start talking about dentistry and everything, I was curious what your f- college football alliances having gone to such three notable college football institutions. Yeah. So, um, Florida state is still to this day. I actually was, um, in new Orleans for the LSU Florida state game, which is really neat because we're not in the sec. So we barely get to play LSU, but UF, I am not a UF fan. All my friends and my family gave me hell when I went there for residency, but it's a phenomenal program. Right. Uh, AGD residency there. So I kind of had to just bite it. I don't think my parents talked to me that year. They were really <laughs> good. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> looking back, that was a poor decision, but no, Florida State is still, and you know, it worked for Tennessee because I think Tennessee and Florida State's mutual agreement is that we hate the Gators. So there you go. See, it. It's common enemies. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I talk, start talking about college football with some people and who've gone to these type of programs and they're not into college football, it becomes a very uncomfortable conversation for me. Right, because right, right. All of a sudden we, we don't have a lot to talk about if we can't, yeah, you know, if we yeah, can't start yeah. with college football. So this is, yeah. this is very gratifying. I, and I agree with you. So I think that if you're a Florida state fan, if you would have said that, yeah, you also rooted for the Gators. I would have, I would have, um, the, the respect yeah. level definitely would have dropped. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that you, that you hate the Gators as much as I hate the yeah. Ohio state Buckeyes. Yeah. So sorry for all you Buckeye listeners. It's just, <laughs> And they should hate Michigan as equally as as we if we dislike them, which I right know. for sure. So, all right. They understand and, that they know what it means exactly. So. And we are in college football season, so this is the way it goes. <laughs> Diana, let me just finish up. Um, you're an accredited member of the AACD. That was recent. Congratulations! Thank Beautiful you. work. I saw the ceramic work that MJ Shin did for your um, accreditation case or for one of them. For those who are listening, if you are not in the AACD and you're not and you want to do more cosmetic dentistry. It's a wonderful organization. And I encourage you to check out the AACD and the accreditation protocol and the whole procedures, because it's really just wonderful. And you're going to learn so much through the process. I think you'd agree to that, Diana. You learn so much as you go through 100%, 100%. it. Like, I, I could talk hours about just the process itself and how it transformed me, but a hundred percent. And the accreditation process is as an, as an examiner, accreditation examiner, I will tell you, it's the, the fairest process uh, that I've ever been around. It's in, the examiners want people to become accredited and they, they work hard to help people and there's great mentorship. And we're going to talk about mentorship in just a little bit. So you're a fellow also of the American General Dentistry. You're a fellow of the uh, International Congress of Oral Implantology. You've gone through the COIS stuff. You're a COIS uh, graduate. Do they have a term for that? A COIS graduate besides COISian? No, I think we call ourselves like a Koist tribe. <laughs> the Koist tribe. Yeah. I, call, I, I call you all Koisians. I think yeah. it's more of a sort of a Star Trekian feel to it. Right. <laughs> and you're and you're one of the ExoCAD elite members, so you've um, you've really excelled in the ExoCAD stuff, and we'll touch touch base on that in just a little bit. So, Diana down in Fort Lauderdale. And one last thing before I finally let you start talking. Uh, you used to practice up in New York, up in Manhattan. Right. And now you're in South Manhattan, as I like to call it. Absolutely. A hundred percent South Manhattan. Which is the uh, East coast of Florida. So yeah, it's been cool to see all my patients from New York. Now I see them down here. So when they come down for the winter. Well, now they're, they moved ah. Everyone's stay, like moving and a lot of referrals from um, my colleagues in Manhattan. Everyone's coming down here. So yeah, maybe COVID. We'll be next. I don't know. <laughs> COVID, COVID pushes everyone down south yeah. these days, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's Diana Tridros. That's what I have. That's, uh, you know, that's the stuff that you Google. Um, Diana, <laughs> tell us, uh, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Tallahassee. You were seminal as a kid. You went to Florida uh, State for undergrad. Yeah. So born, bred. My parents went there too for grad school. And it just kind of, when it came to dental school, the reason I ended up at Tennessee is my brother was there finishing his last year of pharmacy school. And University of Tennessee is very unique where they only let five people in outside of the state. Um, you have to be a legacy. So they considered my brother a legacy because he was about to graduate. Mm. Um, so that's why I went there. The option to go to UF Dental School was not on the table for my family. <laughs> <laughs> not or myself at that point. I had too much like, you know, pride to go there. But um, 
Tennessee was a, a phenomenal school and program. And I already knew a lot of dental students there through my brother. So it kind of felt like a good fit. <laughs> you tell a real interesting story about your journey into dentistry. And we've talked to so many people, Jeff Rouse and Jim yeah. Key and, and Amanda C. And it's what, what I find interesting is everyone's journey into dentistry. It's just, it's unique, right? I mean, I, I was a person who knew I wanted to be a dentist when I was in elementary school, um, right. but there's others whose path finds finds them more than they find the path. And I think that's sort of how yours sort of happened. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to go into dentistry. Yeah, mine was, to be honest, I actually was geared toward medical school. That was my plan. And I don't know if it was really what I wanted at the time, or it was just kind of what I thought to be medicine was, or that's what you have to go to. But one of my uncles is actually a dentist. And one of my uncles is a physician. And we were at a family reunion. It was my junior year of college. And the one who was a physician said to me, you know, Diane, I'm just going to say this. In my many decades of practicing, I've heard many physicians say they wish they were a dentist, but I've never heard a dentist say they wish they were a physician. And it kind of stuck. And then I went back to my parents. I said, I think I want to look into dentistry. And they were like, what are you talking about? Dentistry? You never talked about dentistry before. So they're like, why don't you go shadow? My uncle practices in Atlanta, the one who's a dentist. And they said, go, go shadow him for like two weeks. It was my summer at that time. See what you think. And I don't even know if I fully grasped dentistry. I just saw that he had this boutique practice. All his patients knew who he was. He was very close to them. And I just felt like that was what my personality was, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really, wasn't even really paying attention to the procedures that much. It just was like the, the, the atmosphere of, of a dental practice compared to when I would go to like my uncle's office, who's a physician. And it's like, you're sitting in a waiting room. They ask you what your name is. Do you go there? What's your birth? It was just this personal experience where you have this continuity of care with people. And I think that's kind of what gravitated me toward there. So Luckily, the prereqs are about the same, you know, and I just kind of shifted gears and started studying for the DAT instead of the MCAT. Do you know why your physician uncle said that his friends wish they had gone into dentistry instead of medicine? So it's really funny because now the majority of my friends are physicians um, mm -hmm. and it's and they say the same thing. And I look at it from the outside looking in and it's a lot of it is, you know, the hours that, you know, think about the years when they finished med school versus dental school, they're still not done. They still have right. another four years they're putting in. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, a lot of the medical insurances that they're dealing with and the payouts and, and, and it's a burnout. Um, most of my friends are ER physicians and it's a tough gig to do sure ER, 12 hour shifts. And they're just, they're seeing maybe 40 patients and, you know, their, their hands are tied and, you know, my practice were fee for service. So I'm not really in that insurance game, but I understand it. And it, it's, it's tough. I think it's getting harder for medicine um, to practice really good quality medicine and not be tied by the hospitals, the insurance and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I agree for sure. And I think that's, uh, that's a common, common thing. It's interesting that your uncle vocalized that to you. I think that's, yeah. that's what a, what a great loving and important opportunity for you to be able to sort of reconsider and very brave of him, right? Very courageous of him yeah. to say that to you. Mm -hmm. And and then for you to then take it to heart and actually start considering that that might be a different path for you. That's, that's really, that's great. And then you get to follow along your path and here you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, you, I know, I, yeah, I didn't have the, I, I always wanted to be a dentist story, you know, but. <laughs> and in my story, I, 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 I liked my dentist. He was a nice guy. I knew I wanted to treat people. I wanted to be in the healthcare industry. And my physician was kind of a jerk. 
And that was, that was, that was sort of it for me. It's like right. dentist, night guy, physician, yeah. jerk. I'd rather be a nice guy. And that yeah. was sort yeah. of like my path, not knowing anything about dentistry. How did you end up going then? So you did your dental school at Tennessee and then you were off to UF for your, for your residency. Was it a GPR? What, t- what type of residency? It's an a- it was an AEGD. AEGD. Mm-hmm. I knew about this residency program before I even knew what dental school I wanted to go to. I knew I wanted to do this residency program. I was tipped off by a, um, I think it was a guidance counselor in college that mentioned this residency program. Um, and they told me to go intern there or shadow them for a week. So uh, my senior year, of college, I went and shadowed at that program. And it's funny enough, because I'm actually friends with the people who were residents that year. So they were like four, five years ahead of me, but I know them now, like they're mm-hmm. my colleagues and friends, but I shadowed there. And then every summer I emailed them and said, can I come back and, and intern? And I interned like every summer, like for a week or two, I just, I knew I wanted to do that residency program. He was taking them to Dawson. They were doing implant educators, the type of dentistry, the level they were learning things out was just like, I would go back to my dental school and we were, you know, doing big stuff. And I'm just like, God, I just can't wait till I, if I can get into that residency, you know? So yeah. it's just what I was getting exposed to. And Dawson was one of the um, clinical instructors there. We had a lot of great, great clinical instructors that would come by that program. And then the year before my senior year of dental school, Dr. Porter, who was the director said, you know, you extern here and are you going to apply? And I said, yeah, you know, I hope I get it. And so I, you know, that was kind of, I was, it was a running joke that I was the longest resident they've ever had. <laughs> they had me for it took you a long years. time to get through that program. Yeah, so it was, that was, you know, I, I detached it from UF. I didn't care that it was UF. I just knew that program was solid. I had to put everything aside and alliance aside because that was, I think to this day, what really, really set my path in dentistry. So I think it's interesting. Uh, we have a lot of young listeners or, you know, in, in dental school currently or just out. But as someone who's been at Marquette for so many years and now I'm part of the, the mentorship program, commonly uh, dental students will ask, should, should I do a residency? Now, I did a GPR when I got out of school. And the reason I did a GPR was because I was very confused about how all the how the facets of dentistry fit together. Like I understood restorative dentistry. I understood endo. I understood perio, but I couldn't put them all together. Uh, and I was hoping that the residency would help me start to link these these pieces so they weren't such unique disciplines. I can't say my residency did that for me. It did give me a year to mature a little bit and and see some stuff I wouldn't see otherwise. What advice would you give for people when they're sort of, you know, they're in their third year of dental school and they're starting to consider like what are they going to do afterwards? What, what would you say about residencies, people who would be good for residencies and maybe people who residencies aren't the right people for? So, you know, I graduated, most of my close friends in dental school had, their dad was a dentist. So they were going to go into practice. And so they had this built-in mentorship throughout the whole dental school year and when they finished. And although my uncle is a dentist, I'm humble enough to say that it was different dentistry than what I wanted to see, what I wanted to do, you know? And he says all the time, he's like, he's, he likes his bread and butter dentistry, but I was, what I was seeing in residency was not what I was seeing in his practice. So if I was had the option to go there, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going to learn, but for me, um, it wasn't so much the hand holding. What I felt like I really saw in the residency was a chance to have like camaraderie with other dental students from other schools. They all come in with a different experience and what they've learned. And then we have these just top tier educators that are bringing us all together and it was just a nice year of a transition between going from having your colleagues every day, then you have a smaller group, but a really astute 
intelligent group and learning more complex things together. And it's only going to make you more valuable as a clinician, more marketable to when you're looking at for an associateship. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing I hear dentists say is, well, you're not gonna make any money. I can go out and make money. I'm like, if that's, that's such a short term goal, the money I'm making now was because I took the time throughout the years to invest into like better dentistry and high right. quality dentistry. And this one year gap that you're going to get where you're not making the money. I mean, how much money are you really going to make as a first year associate at a DSO? And what kind of dentistry do you think you're going to be doing at that practice? You know? Yep. So if you are someone who is, you know, money, like is, is the driving force, this is, you're, you're, you're going to be comparing yourself to your other colleagues that are out there first year practicing. But if you're someone that just really wants like this to be a career that you take to the grave and not be burned out from it and not, you know, just churning your wheels, trying to see a hundred patients a day to get there, then I, I don't, I, I've never seen, I never saw the downside to residency. I just didn't, I, I never looked at my colleagues that were practicing my first year while I was on weekends at CE and said, gosh, I wish I was doing that. And said, I never did. Cause I, I really saw the value in like that program. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's great yeah. advice. And, and I think all programs they're set differently, but you have many dental students don't know this. You can go to these programs in the summers during your dental school years and see, ask them to shadow for a couple of days, see if this is something you'd want to do. You'll see very quickly that it might be a lot different than what you're learning in day-to-day dental school. And that might be what, it's almost like free CE in a way, because you're going to learn more complex cases and be guided throughout them rather than paying, you know, $20,000, $30,000 to go to an implant course you get to do it in residency, you know, and, and have some handholding. So I would tell them if you're on the fence, shadow, shadow them in your summers or your weeks off, see if you can get into just programs to just a couple of days and see if it's something you'd want to do. And most dental students that do that, they end up saying, yeah, I kind of do want to do this. Like, you know, this, I saw some really cool things at that residency program that I'm not seeing, you know, at my dental school. So how was it for when you're going back to school and you you sort of touched on this, like you're seeing these things when you're doing your internship and then you're getting back to dental school. How did you manage the conflict between seeing things done in a, in a different way, you know, right. Could say better right. way, but a different way. How, how did you, how did you manage that conflict? So I think the hardest thing for me is I started to get more, like I knew that the um, residents were going to Panky and Dawson and, you know, there's just only dental school makes you barely not, dangerous basically safe, like, safe beginners safe yeah, beginners is what we would basically say basically what it is safe you're beginners. not you're not and you're not fully understanding the inclusion of that or you just you're just trying to get by so i think for me as i was trying to start learning more about what i would hear in the summer i start reading trying to like this was before there was all this like videos everything online there wasn't that much sure. content and i was trying to like i bought i remember i bought dawson's book i was trying to read understand it and bring it in and but the thing about me is I'm a pretty obedient student. Like I knew this was just, I had to get through this step to get to the next step. And I had to get through this step really well to be considered a, in a position for that residency. But I would tell like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, like I saw like, I mean, even crown lengthening, you think now looking back, it sounds so crazy. I thought that was such a thrilling procedure, but I didn't get to see that in my first year of dental school. I didn't sure. see that, you know? So and not to say that, I mean, university had a lot of exceptional programs and clinical programs, but, you know, back then, we didn't have, you didn't really have any implant exposure. Now I think the dental students are learning, you know, everything about grafting is that we didn't have much of that. That was sure. for the surgeons. That was for the period residents. So to see that, you know, in a residency, I'm like, wow, like I'm going to be doing this like literally right after I graduate. That's insane. I haven't done it at all. So there's a, there was a level of excitement, but I kind of just 
tuck my head under and just, you know, I wasn't trying to, I'm, I, well, I'm not a, like a confrontational person. I just knew that that was what was on the other side. So. Okay. I think it's uh, one of the things I speak about when talk to young dentists, when I was in school, we had very limited materials. I mean, we were using gold, we were using gold foil back then we were using amalgam mm-hmm. and composites were just coming into practice when I was there. So in our dental school education, we had to learn an inch of material, but we had to learn it a mile deep. In today's dental school, there's so many products, so many materials, things that are changing. You know, you have fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation um, adhesives. We were just in the infancy of adhesives when I was in school. So the, the challenge, I think, for dental students today is they don't get to learn at a very high level any of the things, right? They might do one technique on using, you know, whatever adhesive they're using. They might get one denture experience where we were getting tons of experience doing the same thing over and over. So we came out, I think, better prepared to jump into the wilderness of of dentistry. Whereas I think today's students, it's it's a real challenge. And I could see where a good um, AGD or a good um, AEGD program would be really helpful for those who want to get better at it and have a safer entry into dentistry. That'd be my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and even if you take a snapshot of like today's dental schools, every dental school is so different in the experience the students get when they graduate. Sure. And I didn't realize that until I went to residency. So when I went through UT, they didn't have an endo residency program yet. So we did all the endo. Um, and we did a lot of surgery in our program because most of the oral surgery was kind of off site. When I got to residency, I had people who had never even done endo on a live patient before in their dental school, or maybe had wow. only got to cut two crowns. So um, like, for example, in New York, they're required to do a residency to practice in New York. And I think a lot of that is because they may not get as much experience in the dental school itself because they're larger dental schools um, classes. So even just doing your research on the dental schools themselves, just into like, which one is offering what type of experience is important to know, even going into dental school. Yeah, that's know? a great point. So yeah, there are they're all remarkably different. It's right. you wouldn't think so, right? But right. they're they're very different. Mm-hmm. Everyone in their what they're able to how they're going to educate their students and the materials they're going to be able to provide. So True. how did you end up in New York? I actually just ended up in New York kind of on a whim. I was I had finished residency. I practiced for about a year and a half in Tampa, Florida. And I had a lot of friends that were not dentists, but outside of dentistry that were in Manhattan. And at the time. I had was visiting back and forth with them and I just really liked the city and I found pretty quickly a really good associateship job there. Um, when I, and I interviewed, you know, for long distance, I said, I want to move. And I didn't think it was going to be there long-term. I was going to be there for a couple of months. I was like, why not? You know, I'm young, I'm single, let me do it. And it just, I, I mean, it was a great practice. It was a phenomenal practice. I mean, we, she really taught me a lot um, in dentistry as well. And that's where I started to link up with people like Adamo and, and another, you know, really people that I respect in the industry. And I stayed in Manhattan for about six years. And then I had a really good practice opportunity down in South Florida. Um, and then I took it. So you, you were in the Upper East Side. Is that what I remember? I was, yep. Yeah, I was in the Upper East. That was toward the end. I had took on a position on the Upper East um, for about three days a week. And then I was also mainly in Gramercy. So, oh, oh that's a great yeah. area also. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, like New York, I think in New York to do, you, you have to be, exceptional in Manhattan to stand out, you know, because there's so many dentists right. Even in our building alone. I think there was like 150, 200 in that building. So that's where I really started to hone more on cosmetics um, because that's the market in New York. One of the things that I've tried to do in my career is 
continue to learn and I've always been super curious. And I always said that, you know, I'm not worried about people being smarter or better than me because I would just simply outwork them. And I will tell you, I'm glad you are not in my community because I don't (laughs) think that I would have been able to get any sleep at all because I, I I think you're tireless. And so I'm, I'm wondering, so like, are you like equal (laughs) mix of like easily get bored, um, little ADD, super curious, like it's like this mixture of stuff that seems like you have just kept on going and going and going. And I'm wondering what the, the genetic formula is that has you going through all the educational things you've done beyond your dental school, beyond your residency. So as we talked about, you're accredited with the AACD, you're a fellow of the AGD, you're a fellow with the ICOI, you've gone through the COIS programs, and now you're doing the ExoCAD stuff. So do you just get bored easily or are, are you know, I guess I, I, I do. It's not that I get bored. I think I get um, like antsy. And I think it's almost like this, like every, I, every CE I go to, you know, some people go to CE and think they're going to learn, you know, it's at a hundred percent learn rate. And if they don't get a hundred percent learn rate, then they, that was a failed weekend course. For me, it's like, if I just go and learn one or two tips that make it better for me to incorporate into my practice, it's a win, you know? And I just, that's kind of how it became. And, I, and honestly, a lot of this, you know, Koi Center, all that came because of mentors that told me, you know, I, I remember telling Adamo, I said, you know, I did Dawson and I've done this and I've done that. And I'm just kind of like, I'm bored. Now that a lot of the C I'm going to kind of seems a little bit redundant. And he said, do Koi. And I'm like, I don't want to do, I, I don't know. I don't want to do another occlusion type-esque thing. And he's like, just do it. If you don't like it, I'm going to pay for the first course. And I went and I just, it was this, you know, with Koi he just has this way of explaining everything and he it's the energy and the passion he has for our profession. And, mm-hmm. and that's what really drew me into the center at first, but maybe I get a little bit antsy. I think that's what brought me into Exacad heavily. I was getting tired of waiting for labs to do wax ups. I was trying to go through accreditation and all the wax ups would not pass accreditation. So I just kind of was like, all right, you know, I'm just going to do this myself because, and that's, that's how it took off. But it's, I don't think it's genetic. Cause I look at my parents and they're chilling on retirement. They're not itching, trying to do anything crazy. Now my brother's like, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital and work, come home. It's not like, so they kind of laugh at me. They're like, is this another fellowship award that we have to go to? Like, are you done now? Like, so I, I promised them, I think I'm done. I don't know. Dad's got to pull out the suit. Mom's got to go yeah, get a new dress. And I know uh, it's the only time he has to pull out a suit is for these like accreditation and fellowship awards. Right? <laughs> well, you strike me as someone who's just super curious, you know, sort of yeah. just sort of looking through your background and I, and, and you got this super high energy that you don't, you know, I think one of the challenges in dentistry is you like, like in anything, if you want to excel, you got to be able to be able to get knocked down and get back up. Right. And I think one of the, one of the misbeliefs or the, the things that people don't understand is that there's tons and tons of failures. We're going along towards our, our, mm-hmm. our path to success. I don't remember who said it. It's not the number of times that you're knocked down. It's the number of times that you get back up. Right. And so I'm imagining, Diana, that you're someone who just has this, this resonance that I'm just going to, I'm going to get through this. I can see through to be able to get to where my, where I'm going. Is that, is that pretty true? I think it's pretty true. I mean, we see, you know, every dentist has failures. My thing is I, I own up to it and I'm humble with the patients and I explain to them what happened. And the reason I, I tie myself so much to CE is because every time I kind of learn how why it happened, you know, and so it doesn't happen again, because if you're having to redo your dentistry over and over and over again, it's a long road, you know, and 
I see that in the practice that I bought. I bought a pinky practice um, and he's a phenomenal dentist, Dr. Holtz. And he told me when he, when I bought the practice, he said, Diana, all I want is the ability to redo my own work um, if it fails. And at the time I'm thinking, wow, sure. But it's because he knew he was doing such great dentistry by that point. Even to this day, Dennis, I probably maybe only had to redo like one filling of his in three. Hmm. Like he, his dentistry is so methodical and he took his time and it was just, you know, and I know I'm sympathetic to the fact that not everybody gets the, the luxury of sitting in a fever service office where you can spend that time doing this kind of dentistry, but that doesn't stop you from getting that kind of knowledge right. to know that, you know, and that's where I was like, you know, this is the kind of dentist I want to be. Like, I want to be able to sit in a, you know, a future person that's buying my practice 30 years from now and say, oh, let me redo my dentistry, knowing that it would be rare if it was just failing all over the place, you know? Correct. Uh, and now, you know, of course, our patients are aging, things like that. But when I have to look at the dentistry itself, it's not the crown that failed. It's the root that failed. It's things like that. When you can discern what it is that failed, not it's not wasn't his dentistry, you know? Correct. So. Yep. I understand that for sure. Because I'm at that point in my career. Yeah. And, and it's fun when when you get to look at the dentistry that's come in and you, you know, Right. did procedures 20 years ago and you're looking at the dentistry yeah. and it's still maintaining and mm-hmm. it's really rewarding and super fun, but it's been because learning the rules and following the rules all right. along and, right. and hopefully then you have success that way. Right. And oh. I'm sure you've heard this dentist a lot where, where dentists will tell you, well, I don't do bondings cause they don't work or they break, you know, and you're someone who's so exceptional at bondings that you're probably just like, is it the bonding that doesn't work or is it you that doesn't work in this situation? So, well, I I speak directly to that because when I joined Buddy Mopper's practice, I was awful at bonding because it didn't work in my hands. And I had seen Buddy lecture. And of course I was very young and I was very, uh, I wasn't very humble. And so when I would listen to Mopper, I was you know, I was learning, but not really learning. I wasn't following exactly his protocol. Maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe my ego was just in the way. I'm, I'm probably a lot of, a lot of both. Nonetheless, when I got into Mopper's practice, I recognized that it was all about me and my limitations and my limitation in my learning of the materials. So it was all about me. It wasn't the materials. It was about me. And right. I speak openly about that because I want others to enjoy doing composites as much as I get to do it now. Right. But I had to learn the right way to do it. Right. It's true. So I want to talk about mentorship because you brought that up and it's one of my favorite topics. And because I can tell you, I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been from people like John Coyce, Frank Spear, um, Buddy Mopper, Corky Wilhite, so so many other people. And even going back to dental school, some, some of my instructors that were so helpful in guiding me. So I want to talk about when, when you met with Adamo, how did that all work out? Because Adamo is a good friend and so inspirational. How, how, did, how did you guys connect? Adamo is, you know, needs no intro- introduction and he's as excellent as he is humble. And when it came time to do the accreditation process, it was hard because, you know, he was a friend too. And um, in the accreditation process, and I didn't realize this in the beginning, you're going to be knocked down. And I failed you know, people think that I went through growth. I know I failed two cases going through the process and it was two cases because I fought him on it. I wanted to submit it and I was like, it's going to pass. And he's like, you know, Diana liked it. And I remember the first time I did a case and I told, and he told me he doesn't think this would pass. I didn't talk to him for two weeks. I was so mad at him. And finally he was like, you know, if you're going to do this, then you have to set aside the French. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm, crapping on your dentistry, but I'm trying to get you to this level of X. And that's, that's why people really, I think, 
steer away from accreditation or they kind of laugh it because they think they just, they've got it down. And it's not that you can't do exceptional dentistry without going through accreditation, but sure. when was the last time somebody actually examined your work and your private practice? You know, that was the first time in 10 years that I've had my work evaluated by somebody, you know, even as a colleague since right. residency. Sure. And we go through this bubble when we start practicing where nobody tells us how good our work is except our own patients. And our patients don't know what they don't know, right. you know? So to that's that's the value of accreditation is you have these people who are actually, you know, top tier in this specialty that can actually sit down and show you how to make it better. They're not telling you your dentistry sucks. They're just telling you like, you know, this is how you can really take this from a C to an A plus, you know, and, and, and it's long-term it's longevity for the patient too, you know, right. everything bonding protocols, you know, gingival architecture, everything. So um, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a hard experience for me. I wanted to give up many times because it was the first time that I'd been, you know, basically knocked down right. by a friend. And, right. and I was like, what is this? You know, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's, but like you said, I'm, I'm very like curious and I'm one of those people that I'm just like, I'm, I have to do it. I already started it. I would commit, we are closed on Fridays, but I committed Fridays to accreditation days. I would bring patients in on Fridays that I wanted to do my accreditation cases on. I would stay nights. I would come in weekends with them. I was doing most of these cases for free. I, I lived and breathed the process and not because I cared about the title. It was because I just wanted to prove to myself, like, I could do that kind of dentistry. Like maybe I'm not always going to be doing six or more composite veneers in my geriatric practice patient population. But if a patient came in my door that needed, I wouldn't be the one to say, well, you have to do porcelain right? because bondings aren't going to work, you know? So I just wanted to prove to myself, like, could I actually, do I have the hand skill? If I sat down and practiced enough, do I actually have hand skills to do this kind of dentistry, you know? And, and it made me better with collaborating with my lab. It made me better with collaborating with my specialists, with my patients. Everything was a win that I didn't even expect to be a win in that process. And our friendship is even stronger now. He's actually coming to my course next weekend for Exacad. So it's kind of crazy because I've been to his courses and now it's like this weird circle. circle. Yeah. So, well, you know, I bring, I think you bring up something that's really important when, when you're talking about mentorship. You know, you said that you didn't want to talk to him for a couple of weeks after he had come in and critiqued you, right? Right, right, yeah. You know, there. This is, I think, for because I hear this a lot, and and I act as a member uh, mentor for the AACD, and and I have some mentors through Marquette. This is, I think, critical for the relationship between the protege and the mentor, is right. that there has to be an understanding that this is at a this is professional, and so when you're giving guidance. Then it's not a it's not a personal attack, right? You're right. you're you're doing this for the best interest of the person that that's there, right. and so I th I think there's has to be sort of like this contract, this covenant between both people in this relationship that the person who's giving the information is giving it in a in a caring, loving way. You're doing it to help right. the person, and the person who's getting the information has to take it in such a way and understand that this person who's given their information, it's not easy for them to say these things, right? They don't want to hurt the person, but they're so interested in people's growth. I think John Coyce is one of the best at being able to do this, right? Yeah, he's, uh, he's able to be caring, but also give, you know, give valuable feedback, right? So I think for those who are listening, I think if you're asking for mentorship, I think you have to be able to step right. back and understand there's a responsibility. And if a mentor is, make, is recommending something, 
then do it. (laughs) And another thing I'll say to this, and and it bothers me from the outside looking in, is I think the most important thing is mentorship is a two-way street. What I mean by that is a lot of these mentors that are out there that are giving their time or holding their own courses and and holding their own lectures. And like, well, the Damo, yeah, I could go to his office and sit there for four hours. And he would, of course, he's a nice guy, teach me composite, but he also has a course. And if you have a mentor that is teaching courses, go to their courses, pay to be a student, support them the way they support you. And I think that's the hardest thing for me to see is sometimes, you know, mentors and a lot of my colleagues now are, are teaching class and they'll say, oh, you know, the student, they'll, they'll just message me all day or they want me to teach them like photography over the phone or they want me to teach. And it's like they have active courses for them they could right. go to. So I do think like mentorship, it cannot just be this ATM machine where you're just pulling, pulling, pulling from them and you're not providing support to them too. I mean, if you like what they're doing and they're teaching exactly what you want to be, support them, promote them, promote their what they're providing for the community, you know, that's that's how I feel about that. So, so well, they- you know, I, th- I think that's really well said uh, because there's a limited amount of time in everyone's schedule right. and everyone's day. And yeah. when, when you're at the point where, you, where someone's asking you to mentor them, it's because you've, you've been successful and that if you're right. successful, it means you're probably busy. And right. so your, your time is, is limited. So I think that's really, that's really well said. And I think that's really good and valuable. And plus then you're in while they're doing the teaching right. and you're going to get it in a different way. And then you, you know, very often it leads toward being able to assist them in those, in those roles and you learn at a higher level and then you get right. to get more opportunities. So I think that's really, I think that's yeah. really, really good said, well said. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I'm sure today you're being asked to be mentors for people as you've gone on and gotten further in the career and especially with yeah, and stuff. And, and it's tough um, because, you know, Exacad is, it's, and, and I think the Domo said this, you know, this is actually the second time he's come to my course. The first time he came was just to really support me because my, my, my inaugural course was last summer. And he actually said it to everybody. And he said, listen, Diana is teaching something that we don't have any exposure to. So you're learning from scratch. I teach composites, which we've all kind of played with composites a little bit. Or I've done something, maybe everybody has a little bit. So the hard thing about Exacad, and we get a lot of new dentists that are like that will email me and say, oh, I want to come learn the software. And then I'm like, for me, it's like, there's so many other things you probably should pick up before you get to the software. Because the problem with Exacad is you're taking the power away from the lab to do occlusion. Correct. You're going to do it yourself now. Correct. And I would be pressed to believe a dental student understands occlusion to the level that a lab that does it every day does, you know, Correct. or a dentist who's even been seasoned enough. So that's what I even tell these dentists that come to these course. When you are starting to do your own wax ups, you're taking a lot of things that you don't see behind the scenes that happens when a lab does your case and sets it up or a designer, you know, they are working within the confinements of understanding, hopefully the occlusion, the table, if they're opening the bite, all that. And if you're going to do that yourself, and if you don't know what you're doing, you're only going to mess up the mouth faster. Yes. So for me, and with Exacad, I am very, I don't actually let, you know, dental students or I don't teach them like that. I, most of the people that come through the course are graduates of Panky Koi and they understand because if you're going to do this yourself, this is a, an undertaking, you know, right. to, to, to do this. So I do get that. And I try to help as much as I can. But again, the software is kind of, it's hard to explain it over the phone to anybody or I'll sure. do remote sessions with people who've already taken the course. Most of my time mentoring is with people who've already taken the course. Cause about now we're about 150 dentists deep on Exacad. So those are the ones that I kind of prioritize because they already have the software. Yep. So I can help them, you know, navigate it. Um, and that's just my priority because they, they're, they know what they're trying to do in the software. Whereas somebody who's just coming because they saw on Instagram that you can do this, you know? Right. And it, so 
I'm trying to be more open to the shadowing, but if it, it's hard to have just someone come in and, and, and want to, it's, I feel like there's other steps they need before you just start doing your own occlusion on digital, you know? When you started out in, in your, in your path, you ended up uh, working with going to Coise, but you had had a pinky background beforehand through I had a Dawson, Dawson background. I bought a pinky practice. So <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah, I had Dawson beforehand. Um, but, but, I, but all on the centric related dentistry, right? right? CCR, mm-hmm. CR dentistry, right. doing positions. So when you're, one of the questions also I get c- quite commonly from, from dental students and young dentists is which, which CE should I go to? Should I go to pinky? Should I go to Dawson? Should I go to Coise? Should I go to spear? Um, should I do a DOT for instance? Um, how do you, uh, how do you, uh, recommend or what do you, what do you say to people when they start asking that? So I, I used to say Dawson cause that's Dawson is what I knew. Um, yeah. when I look now, you know, voice is kind of the way he has it structured and he's kind of just, it's him teaching it every day, all day. You know, that to me is very appealing because it's like, you know, he could, if he wanted to step back and have right. other people just teach for his curriculum, but he's so, um, invested in the center and dedicated that Coise is where I would say to start. And I don't ever tell people, I wish I did Coise so much sooner because the truth is when I did Dawson, I didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me because right. I did it in residency and I didn't, hadn't seen my failures yet. Yep. I hadn't seen what, so to say, Oh, I wish I did it. You know, my freshman or like one first year out of residency, I don't know if I would have grasped everything, you know, I would have yep. picked up half of it, but I probably would have had to retake it many years down the road because there is there is something that just can't be bought. And that's the time and experience of, of practicing dentistry day in and day out. You know, you can take all the CE you want. If you had all the money in the world, you could take it all your first year out. But until you're practicing it and seeing it day in and day out and how it's working long term on every different type of patient and every type of occlusion and what their occlusal scheme is and patterns, you're not it might not click the way it's right. supposed to, you know. Well, I think implementing is for sure. Like, so I started out with Spear and then, uh, and this was the old days when Frank was uh, teaching in his office before there was right. a Spear Center. And then I went and I did um, Dawson and I went through a bunch of the Dawson stuff. And then I went back to Spear mm-hmm. and it was, you know, because the things that they were teaching in the beginning, I just didn't hear it. You know, I'm, I was just picking, you know, there's only little things that were making sense to me. And right. then, you know, so Frank would talk about the facially generated treatment planning and I would get some stuff for that. And then I understood some occlusion stuff. And then uh, for me, uh, Dawson brought some occlusion stuff better together for me. And right. then I was also learning from Jim McKee about joints and stuff like that. And then I was back out of spear and it all just, I just had to keep hearing it. And then as I was implementing, it, it was just starting to make more sense. And it's like, ah, and then I would go to lectures like, gosh, is that the first time he said that? Or is that the, every right, time you, right, right. you know, yep. I've, I've heard Frank speak on this five times and right. this seems to be the first time that I've heard it, but it's the same presentation. Cause I wasn't ready to hear it. Yeah. I think no matter which way you swing it, uh, an advanced curriculum on occlusion is important before you get into cosmetics, we're getting that you can do, you know, you, I've done, you know, I did your course. I've done Adamo's course. I've done cosmetic courses. You can do cosmetic courses all day long, but if they don't last, your patient's going to hate you and you're yep. going to hate yourself and you're going to just start blaming the material. But if you understand occlusion and, and what would work on what patient you're going to win, you know, yep. in the long run. So I think that no matter which way you swing it, any kind of core curriculum that involves itself around understanding occlusal principles, you know, is key. So. Thank you for saying that. Cause I, I, I agree a hundred percent start with occlusion cosmetics come next. I think what's really interesting is young dentists that'll start out and they'll be doing these big all on X implant courses right. 
maxi courses, but they don't know occlusion. Correct. And yeah. How scary is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is honestly the basis of everything. And I was just going to get into, I was like, even if you're doing dentures or implants, you have to understand occlusion for, for these procedures and restoration types to hold long-term. Right. There's no way around it. It is literally the foundation of dentistry. It just, that's it, you know? So I think because it, it's, at least for me, it was hard to learn. I didn't understand it. And right. not only is it hard to understand, I think it's hard to teach. And so I think there's only, you know, there's a certain number of people who can make it so that the information's easier to understand. And I think there's a ton of implementation in mm-hmm. practice that takes time to appreciate it and all. Whereas, you know, we're mostly carpenters and plumbers, right? So we're really good at, you know, getting out the old hammer and chisel and getting something done. But things like occlusion take longer to learn and you have to have implementation. And so I think people get maybe distracted from wanting to learn it because of the the process it takes to learn it, where the other things are, give me a screwdriver and give me a, you know, give me a drill and I can get this done where this is something that's going to take a lot longer to figure out. But it's so critical. It's critical for all everything we do. Mm-hmm. And it's. I think the thing is, is and I, I, I understand when you're an associate, it may be hard to come back to a practice that you know it's been run the same way for many, many years. And you say, you know, I just learned all these. This is how I want to start doing my cases and mounting them. But I think if you're in a practice where the owner is so against any new advanced material that you are bringing and that you that you've learned, then I would say get out of there. Yeah. Because that's not going to be an environment where you're going to grow anyways. So um, if, if I went back and I went to a practice and said, this is how I learned that this is like, you know, I just got back from voice or spear. And that's what, if, if I had an owner that was like this, I want to learn it too. You know, that's the kind of right. practice I want to work under. Um, and the same thing, even, you know, Dr. Holtz, he's, even though he's semi-retired now, he, I can pull him out of retirement once a week to come see some of his patients. But anytime I come back from a CE course, he's like, tell me what, you know, what, what, what did you learn? This is great. You know, like, I want to know, you know, he is still loves dentistry. He's very much into dentistry. And even all after all these years, and he came to my course too, and he's come to the AC. He's just, you know, that that's the kind of person you want to grow a practice with, you know? So those are really good words. And I think, especially because of your career path, right? You started Mm -hmm. out down in Florida, you went up to New York and then you're back down. So you've had Mm -hmm. several opportunities Right. And I think this is really good advice. And for young dentists out there, well, it's a challenge to sort of figure out what the type of dentistry is that you want to do. It's a right. challenge. So you got to you gotta dip your toes in. You got to start taking courses. You got to get a feel for it. And then when you do know the type of dentistry you want to do, you got to commit to it. And if you're not in a practice that's going to support it, you got you to gotta find your way out and, and get into a practice that will support it. True, true. I would say what I think we would agree, occlusion and then picking the kind of specialty you want to hone in on. You know, I, I, I know there's a lot of dentists that are like a jack of all trades and they do everything a lot, but I've gotten to a point now where I tell patients, I'm humble enough to tell you what I can do really well. And I'm humble enough to tell you what someone can do better. Yep. You know, so all my root canals, I'm going to send them out. And it's not that I can't do it. It's just, I know someone's going to do it better at this point, And I just don't do it all the time. And I don't really have a passion for it. Right. You know? So it's, it's things like that. Finding when you go like, and dentists start to pick it up on their day to day, they start to figure out what procedures they really like. When they see it on their schedule versus ones yeah. they're like, oh, not this on my schedule. And if you're going, oh, not this repetitively on something, find a way to just stop doing that right. and spend more energy and CE into the things that you really naturally gravitate towards. So well said. I couldn't agree more. I stopped doing endo and oral surgery early in my yeah. career because I was just mm-hmm. awful at it. 
I mean, yeah. and I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because I was awful at it. And I yeah, tried to get yeah. better, but I was still yeah. awful at it. Right, right. And it's just, you know, it's it's natural. I actually started really liking surgery. And then I got to New York. And then I really started to like cosmetics. But because I did so much surgery, I can kind of play them off each other at my practice. Sometimes sure. I'm going to do the anterior implant because I want to guide or I'm going to place the tissue that emerges profile and things like that. But um, it takes time. And it, it does. It's, just, you know, people, I think the biggest complaint the younger dentists talk about the money, it's right? Constantly this, the money. And, and I get it. The, the, the student loans are bad, you know, they are, yep. they're, they're getting worse and worse and, 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 and it is hard, but there's also a lot of great free CE too, yep. that can start getting you plugged in. And would you, I mean, I go, you know, when I started Exacad two and a half years ago, I would go to YouTube and plug in like Exacad. Right. Just how to do this, and it was like nothing. Like here's music videos, watch Britney Spears instead. Now yeah. it's like people are posting, you know, from all over. It's become so, so. There's so much on like, and I don't want to make them a YouTube dentist, but in the meantime, sure. it's enough to get you kind of maybe figuring out what are the procedures, what's the methods, what is the bonding protocol for using this, you know, that kind of thing. So, no, absolutely, it's uh, you got to start getting your toes into the water, and you got to start working right. your way through. You, let's talk about ExoCAD because my, so my partner, uh, Chris Ching, he's been using ExoCAD for several years. Yep. And so we're, we're our practices. I'm analog. He's digital. Yep. And uh, quite honestly, uh, so I think there are, there are advantages for analog and I think there's super advantages for digital. Uh, mm -hmm. The advantages for being doing analog. So I do my own wax ups and I do them in composite. The advantage for me is I'm continually developing my hand skills every time I do a wax up. Right. I'm I'm literally practicing. If I'm going to be doing a composite case, I'm practicing on the patient before I before I do the case. So there there's super benefit for that. Um, developing my hand skills makes it better for me for when I'm recontouring temporaries, uh, when I'm evaluating the porcelain work for my ceramics, things like that. But the time it takes is significant. And especially with, uh, with digital dentistry and digital design, if, for instance, we do a, a smile preview or a trial smile, show the patient what it would look like. And if I do a hand wax up and it's not right, I have to go back and I got to start re-waxing. Mm -hmm. And if Chris does his digital design with ExoCAD, he can do his smile design. If the teeth were too long or maybe maybe came out canted or whatever it is, right? Maybe didn't bring right. out the buccal corridors enough or too much, right. whatever. Mm -hmm. He can, in a minute, go back change things in ExoCAD, it'll take him about a minute or two. Um, if he wants to select different teeth from the library, he can do that, different shapes. And it's a five or 10 minute project instead of me spending the hour doing the wax up. And then he just pushes a button, gets it over to the 3D printer and off he goes. Right. So I think without question, I mean, it's a future for sure. Uh, I, I am concerned for, for younger dentists not developing their hand skills as they yes. become more dependent on digital because bottom line is we're still going to be working in the mouth. Right. But um, that's, my, that's my two cents on analog versus digital. Um, I want to talk about your pathway into ExoCAD um, during uh, COVID and all, but tell me about your thoughts on analog versus digital based on what I just so I, said. I actually mirror your thoughts. I, and I love that you said that you do your wax-ups in composite because I do my wax-ups in composite when I used to do wax-ups and I never did them out of wax because for me, I just work better with composite and it's what I was going to use in the mouth. So it makes exactly. sense to do it with composite and I can polish it like composite and I can get an idea of it where I was getting really frustrated with my wax ups doing um stone is one, it does take time Two, I'd have to carry my, like where I'm going. And sometimes once five o'clock hits, I don't want to sit at the office anymore. Right. And I was 
on a lot for CE. So it was like, I'd have to wait, you know, I'd have to have these designated times after hours that I was going to sit there and do it. That's where I, I, and obviously I would never, I I wasn't doing it in multiple units, you know. Um, My problem with my practice and me starting to incorporate a lot of cosmetic into the practice is patients, you know, to tell a patient, well, you got to pay $2,000 for a wax up for you to decide if you even want to do the case. Yes. That's where my sloth off was like, people are like, yeah, you know, I'll just, I'll think about it next time I come in. Because that $2,000 was to pay for the lab fee. For the lab to just do the wax up. Now, exactly. I was, I felt it's worth the cost when they're hand waxing. And the first time I got a digital print back instead of a hand wax, and it was still the same price. I was like, I felt cheated. I was like $70 a tooth for them to just, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I didn't know, and, and Dennis, I didn't even know what XCAD was that. I just was like, what is this thing that you sent me? Like, where's my hand wax? So like, oh, right. it's a digital software now we're doing. And I'm like, so shouldn't it be cheaper? Like, I, it did, I didn't know that it still takes time. I just thought they were right. putting it in. It was spitting it out. Yeah. And I just said, well, you know, I'm pretty tech savvy. I think I want to buy this software. Now, they said, I don't think a dentist can buy it, Diana. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, it's a lab software. So I called Dexacad. I was like, hey, you know, I'm a dentist and I want to buy your software. And they're like, why? What do you want to buy it for? And I'm like, I want to do my own wax up. So I like, oh, that's, that's crazy. Like, why would you buy this software for wax ups? Like, dentists don't buy this for us. I'm like, well, my lab's doing it. And I just want to do that part and they can do the rest. I didn't know what was going to go at the time. Sure. And they fought me on it and they fought me on it as if it was like going to be this $100,000 software. And I'm like, what is the cost of this thing that you're hiding from me? Right. It's like, oh, you're, what you want would only cost like $2,000. i am like, well, that's the cost of one wax up. Exactly. <laughs> like, give exactly. me the software. So I get the software in my office. It's obviously, it is a huge learning curve. At the time, there were not training centers yet out. Even Exacad does not train directly to consumers. Right. Um, and I just plugged and plugged them. I, I dedicated hours, but you're right. There's still some things I look at when I get a hand wax up. I still have my lab do some wax ups. And I tell you, it's that same concept of like me for endo. It's not that I can't do it. It's just they can do this case better. Mm-hmm. How long would it take me to wax up, you know, two arches opening the bite? How long is this going to take me? Is it worth my time? And, you know, at that point, if a patient's going to do a full mouth reconstruction, they need to pay for a lab wax. Right. Up, you know? For sure. And, and could I do it? I could do it. But there's a beauty in like, even my ceramist MJ at one point said, Diana, here's my thing. I love that you're doing all these wax ups digitally and everything, but I'm very lost in the case because I'm so used to being able to, to do, like you said, you and I say, being able to wax it first. So I know what I'm doing when I go to hand layer the ceramics, I have a practice run. Now I'm just getting the preps and your wax up scan. And I'm, I'm so lost on what was there, what wasn't there, where, we, you know, they're lost. Right. So and I, told, when she said that, it totally clicked to me. I was like, you know what? I need to swallow my pride and I need to let the lab do what they're comfortable doing in some of these cases, you know? But I agree with you. I, there's still a beauty to analog. I, I look at my, even the 3D printed wax ups and they're not, they don't have that great tertiary anatomy that hand wax does, you know, that they can put in it. it you lose a little bit in the print and you lose even more when you make the putty off the For off sure. Mm-hmm. So, and then you put it in the mouth off looks time and you've, you've really lost a lot of that definition, but like Chris does, it is a quick wax up for a patient. I can show them in maybe three, four minutes. And yep. then now it's a hybrid. I do. I tell them if you like this, then I'm going to have the lab do a definitive one off this. And I'll mm-hmm. send her my photos with the picture and the scan and maybe even the whole project itself. And if she, MJ still does hand wax, so yep. she'll turn that into hand wax. But now we have a happy medium where the patients get a preview 
Um, and if it's a simple case, I'm going to do the wax up, you know, I'm going to print it. But if it's more complex, the patient gets to preview, they understand where we're going with this. And I'm going to tell you, most patients have never seen this kind of technology. So they're already like floored. They're like, oh, well, I mean, if you're putting all this planning, my last dentist who did my veneers, they just struck me and then threw something in my mouth, you know, so true. for sure. Like once they see that and you only have to highlight one or two things, like I'm going to bump the gum here. You see how it doesn't match. Once you start showing them that on the front end digitally, they're like, oh, like they got it. They know that you know what you're doing and you're planning it well. So, but yeah, um, there is a challenge to going digital, especially when you want to do virtual mounting and things like that. It, it is a challenge. And I don't think it quite is as great as it is analog, but it's getting better. Yes. And there's ways now with the reference glasses and even face scanning that you almost don't need some of the, the, the armamentarium you needed for analog. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it in many ways, it's, it's, it's certainly the path that we're heading and stuff. And right. I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I took a, um, this is a hundred years ago. I took a Photoshop class from Greg Lucky, who's down in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And this is before we had all these, these opportunities to share our cases with our patients on how to do things. So I was always the dentist that would show the patient the wax up and say, Hey, this is what we can do for you. And of course they'd say, Oh, great. And then they'd leave. Mm -hmm. And then Greg taught me how to do Photoshop. And I remember the first time I, the very first case, and I worked on it when I was down at the course with Greg and I Photoshopped this patient smile who had worn teeth and I made the smile, the teeth, the right shape and stuff. And she came in for a consult and I showed her the before and then the Photoshop. And she literally said, when can I get started? Yeah. And I called Greg and I said, I feel, I feel dirty. I feel guilty. That was like, you know, I didn't go through the wax up and I mean, I went back and then I did the wax up after she committed to it and stuff, but it felt so wrong. But right. you talked about how you'll sit down and you'll do your, uh, your exocad in front of the patient and you'll, and you'll be able to move teeth and show them. And I think that's a huge advantage that they can actually, you know, they can be part right. of it because right. then it becomes interactive, right? This is about yes. them and not about, about you. This is how how you can help, you know, design your smile. And if you do this right, you become the biggest referral from specialists too, because sure. my orthodontist is a huge referral for me because I will show them digitally how much tooth I'd have to cut. If right. They don't do ortho first. And they, and the software shows it, it highlights where it's cutting through and what they are. And patients are like, you know what? I think I will do that ortho. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have her finish off the ortho case. Or even when we get down to the end of the ortho, um, my orthodontist always kind of pauses, brings that patient to me. I scan them and I show them if I need to move the spaces more, you know, when you got like peg laterals or anything, where do I have to put the space to right. work naturally? And you don't really get to see that so much in a stone cast because you don't get to put it on their face. You right. know, software, you've got the face, you've got the teeth, you've got the high smile line, you can see what you have to do with the gums and this. And maybe it's not a hundred percent what you're going to end up doing in the mouth, but it's pretty close. Yeah. You know? Um, so that, that it is patient communication, but it's also specialist communication if you do it right. And it's lab communication as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and just getting a place for the face in this, in, in any kind of wax up is huge for a patient, you know? Yep. Then it becomes ownership, right? They get to sort right. of see the process and they get to understand right. better and then they get to make right. better decisions. What's, what's right. the best treatment for them? Right. I actually had. Um, I had a surgeon that called me that he had referred a patient to me and they did all the, uh, we did a whole whack, everything with them. And he said, I need the documentation that you did. My lawyers asked me, I said, why is it this patient doesn't think things were planned well with the surgery? Hmm. And it actually worked as legal documentation. They brought the whole Exacad project and all the pre-planning and all the, you know, the, the face scan in and everything like that. And once the, their lawyer saw 
all that was done to plan the case, they dropped the case. They're like, this was not a poor. So it actually even works as weirdly enough as legal documentation for planning, you know? That's that's a great story. Mm-hmm. And I was like shocked by it, but I'm like, yeah, I guess you would use this as a, it's a legal document, you know? That's awesome. So. Diana, I, 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 I'll say this, you're inspirational. Oh, I, uh, you really I are. Honest, thank you. <laughs> it, it's true uh, because this, every, every endeavor in dentistry is, it just takes time. It takes effort. It takes getting back in there and, you know, and, and trying and retrying and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a computer person. And so I, I, I've dabbled in Chris's ExoCAD and right. I know I need to do it. I know I need to do it because I'm going to be practicing for right. a bunch more years. So I know I need right. to get do it. So I'm going right. to come down and take your course because I Any need time. to, I, yeah. I need to get down there. And so um, actually several of us have been talking about coming down to, to do that. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, it is, and I tell the dentist, you know, grant yourself some grace when you come to this course. It's a brand new concept. It's not like when you go to another CE and you know the word porcelain or composite and you're just honing your skills. This is a brand new concept in software. And I think that's the hardest thing is people get just, you know, frustrated because they're not, they're not exocad experts in two right. days. And you're not an expert in anything in dentistry in two days. How long did it take you even in dental school? How many classes did we take for composites in dental school? And and and, and, prep sure. and not. And then still the years we took to prep it. So it's just practice. But the nice thing is it's it's a little hard to learn, but it's very easy to master. And mm-hmm. once it gets fast, it gets really fun. Right. So, and, and the nice thing, like you said, is that if you just want to do it for a small design, Right. You can create a printed model for that, and then you can send it off to the lab to finish right. it up once the patient accepts the case. Right. 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 So and you that's don't. What I tell, mm-hmm. That's what I tell most dentists. Within Exacad, it has a um, inter-channel communication. Right. Which is nice about CAD. Yep. It'll just get sent to the lab that's using Exacad, and they'll get that project, and they'll work off that, and they can send it back to you in that channel, and you can tweak the lengths if you want, and send it right back to them. And so it's this kind of this communication portal that goes back and forth. And that's what I tell dentists: you know, when you get stuck, work with a lab that has Exacad, and they're going to finish. They'll you play this bounce back and forth game. I know Midwest uses Exacad heavily. You know, right. so there's a lot of big hitters and in, in labs that are using Exacad, you know, right. that is their software. So, and then the nice thing, it's not like three shape, which is limited to, you know, three shape users. Anyone can use Exocad. Anyone can, any scanner, and any, any scanner, scanner can. Email. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, what I really liked about my, the course is because, you know, even though like I am a KOL for Sprint, right? The printer and all that stuff. The nice thing about Exacad is I get to see so many dentists who are using all different types of technology and they are able to use this software. So, right. You know, we get a lot of CERAC doctors. We get a lot of people who are working off desktop health printers. We get a lot of people who are using all different types of mills. And it's just so cool because the software, it, it's for anybody. You know, it's not, you can, at any point in your digital workflow, you can use this, you know. So I, I like that because I get to stay, you know, connected with dentists who are not in this one stream of, I, I have an iTero and I have a sprint rate, you know, so. What's the biggest misconception you found with dentists coming in to, to start doing digital design, like with ExoCAD and stuff, like they come in and you're like, mm, yeah, that's not, that's not quite how, how this right. is going to be used. Um, the biggest misconception of, is it plug and play? Um, because right. that's what they're used to. Most dentists that have come to our course, I would say 50%, actually hundred percent already have a scanner, which is plug and play. About 50% of them have now incorporated a printer in their practice, which is pretty plug and play. If you have an STL file, maybe it takes right. you to learn how to use the software. So they're expecting something in that realm. 
um, when it comes sort of like to a DSD, control. like a DSD right. type program. Right. And like the issue with DSD is where not, there's no issue, but the thing with DSD is what they're not understanding is DSD is using Exacad. You're going to take the photo, you're going to take a scan and they're going to design it on it and bring it back to you. And then maybe they bring it back to you really fast. So you think it's this one minute thing, but right. um, that's, I think the biggest misconception when I started to really pay attention to it before dentists like sign up, as I tell them, like, are you the one who does the digital in your office or in the way like, Oh no, my, my assistant does my Sarah. She's the one who does all that. I'm like, bring her, bring her instead, mm. bring her with because and you'd be surprised assistants pick it up faster than the doctors oh so, i'm not surprised at all yeah, because my yeah. assistants scan a million times faster than i do right, in my practice right so They're i was better. shocked because my practice everyone at my practice is over 65 so i'm doing everything so i when i started seeing people bringing assistants i'm like wait i went back to my office and i was like someone needs to learn how to scan because i can't do this anymore right so that's what i start asking now who does the who does the scanning in your office who does you know we've had there was one team that came, Nick Gravino, um, he came with his staff to my ex course in June and he brought two assistants and they already have like a lab mill and they're already working off of a software similar to Exacad. And we're all just watching his assistants because she came up to me and she's like, well, I already did a full arch wax up on the upper. I mounted it virtually on the virtual articulator and I already checked the occlusion. I made a bite splint for the lower. Now, how can I convert these into the, I'm like, what are you doing here? Is she, is she for hire? I, I asked her, I was like, you know, I was like, if you like the North, you're really going to love Fort Lauderdale. Right. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. I've tried. So. <laughs> but well, that's, the thing. you know, they're, they're, they're eager to learn it. It's something outside of the chair side dentistry for them. And that's right. exciting for them because we yes. like, we're doing everything. They're suctioning for them. They're not really, it gets mundane for them, but when they get to do something like this, it's cool. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. so. Oh, that's great advice about bringing, you know, for those who are listening, boy, I tell you, the more we can get our, our, our auxiliary team, our assistants involved in this, yes. the tighter you can make them, anchor them into your practice. And I don't know what it's like down there, but boy, we're still challenged on, on building our team and right. things we can do to make, to separate our practice from other practices and give value and, and things they can get to do and right. be part of. Uh, that's so critical. And this is, and it just makes it, like you said, so much more enjoyable for them because they're, mm-hmm. they get to do things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise, which is so mm-hmm. super cool. And they, yeah. they start to market it because they like to do it. And, you know, some of the, some of the doctors, their assistant is the one who takes the photo, does the scan and initially sets up the case in Exacad for them all while they're seeing another patient. And then they come in real quick and tweak maybe the lens or whatnot. And then they show the patient. So it's like, they've got this, they're, they're, they're talking to the patient about like, how I'm going to, we'll set it up for you digitally. You know, we do this together as a team and it's, it's a win for the practice. It's a win for the patient. So, you know, it's, if you've got, you said you've got a staff, your assistant is doing phenomenal at scanning. She would probably run with that. I mean, Chris should be, have her doing the Exocad now at this point. So. Well, Chris just loves doing the Exocad. So <laughs> he gets enjoyment out of it. So uh, it's, no, it's like I a just, techie video game thing. Well, he is, right? He's very techie. Yeah. So he, he yeah. enjoys that. And I think he gets great joy. And I think there is something, like you said, you could, I think the interaction with the patient is so critical for the dentist, right. for me personally. And yes, I know there are teams where, or there are offices where the team does a lot of that interaction with the patient. I like that interaction. I want to have that, that right. one-to-one. And I really like though, when you talked about being able to move the teeth while the patient is there so they can see the differences. All right, well, let's make it shorter. How do you think that looks in your smile? Let's make it a little bit longer. Right, right. there, interactive. They, they get right. to own that. And I think that's, uh, that, you cannot do that in an analog world. 
And sometimes for me, a huge thing is moving the midline. Uh I can move the midline digitally and show them, but then I can reduce the transparency of the waxes so they can see how much tooth underneath they have to prep to do that. And then they start, it starts to click to them. I do have to go to ortho. Like this is not, you know, they don't want to lose tooth tooth structure, but they, they don't really grasp it. And my problem with doing it analog is you lose the tooth underneath. You don't know where you were what you want, you know, you're, you're kind of lost in the shuffle and you can't just peel it off and put it back like you can with a digital software. So um, that's kind of a, another thing is it's sometimes I'm usually convincing patients out of treatment than into it with the software because I'm telling them, you know, but I feel good about that because yes. I, they know what they're getting into. And I, I feel better that I didn't just whack off half a tooth just right. because they think that's what they want, you know? So well, I think the thing you talked about being collaborative with your orthodontists and with your periodontists, all your specialists. So yeah, so you're so you may not do this case and you're going to send that off to the orthodontist instead. But the reality is now you have this pipeline with this orthodontist right. who's respecting that. And so our referrals in our practice, our heaviest referrals are orthodontists, pediatric mm-hmm. dentists, and periodontists. Right. And because we're sending so much to them to make mm-hmm. the cases better. And that's our without question, those are my biggest referrals beyond patient referrals. Yeah. Um and, and they're the best referrals the best. because they're already sold. Mm-hmm. The, they, they have a relationship with the orthodontist or the periodontist, and then they've already been sold on why they should be seeing you. And I encourage every dentist out there, build these collaborative relationships mm-hmm. with your orthodontist, periodontist, endodontist, pediatric dentist, everybody, and feed them patients and watch how it comes back and how it helps generate your practice. And, and my orthodontist is a very heavy marketer in our area. She's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but she also gets so many patients that come to her first that don't even know who they would go to. Oh, perfect. So she'll say, and they're like, they, and they play that game with them all the time. Do I need ortho or can I do this with veneers? And she's right. like, let me stop you. There's a girl down the road. She's going to put it on a digital software. She'll send me the, the design and we can all look at together. But the funny thing is now she says, from all the patients she gets from me, there's never confusion with every no. other dentist. She gets like, they don't know what they, with her. She's like, I don't even have to talk about the case. They already know what they're doing because of the midline. They usually have like the video. I send them the web view of Exacat so they can look at it on their phone. She's like, they already know. Like there's no, the discussion is so little and, and specialists love that. It's right. You know, it's yeah. Just, if the case is pre-sold when they walk in. Right. Right. It's then. just, they're not, you know, an uphill battle with, with the patient. So they, they like that and they respect that because it's not like we're just, I'm not just a, a sales tactic. It's not, it's, it's based off logic. So yeah. And they get to see it. Right. And that's such a big deal, especially in today's world. I mean, right. 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 People yeah. need to see it. They need to have ownership and the medical legal aspect of it that they've been right. informed. So if they decide, right. you know what, I'm going to do it restoratively. You've informed them. You've shown them at the highest level and they've, right. they've taken ownership. So if tooth goes, if nerves go bad, You've yeah. talked about how you've had to prep the teeth more than ideal. So you've, you've protected yourself. And, and it's funny because, and you could probably sympathize with this, a lot of, you know, dentists know what AACD board accreditation is and all that. And, you know, we get it. We respect it within our field for the most part. But a lot of patients don't know. So people will say, well, yeah, you don't have to do this because you're already board accredited. So you could just tell a, dentist, or a patient at your board. I'm like, I don't really use that. And I'm, even if I did, you know, they still want to, there's things they're going to see that they're probably not going to see in other offices. You know, you can do virtual crown lengthening in front of them, things like that before you have to touch them. So people will have this misconception for me that I just get all these cosmetic cases because I already did an ACD and I, and I of this Instagram and, and all that. And the truth about Instagram is it actually is more of a dental ref, dentist referral than it is a patient because most demographic patients that are on Instagram are young. 
Yes. They don't really have the finances to pay for something this you know, they're looking for. So most of what my referral is in, is is dentists that have someone who's moving to Fort Lauderdale and that's who they're sending. So people think there's this misconception with me that I'm just churning and burning all these cosmetic kits all day long. And I don't even have to show them an Exacad product or any, and that's just furthest from the truth. Like it's, um, we do day-to-day dentistry in my office all the time. So, you know, you still have, this has still been my biggest practice builder is being able to, and I sit with every, even if a patient is sold on a case, I'm yes. still going to show them digitally what I'm doing, you know? Right. I think that I, the, the more I do this, the longer I've done this, the more you share with patients, the more they have ownership in their dentistry. Mm-hmm. It, it's win-win because right. not everything's not everything is going to go smoothly. Right. I mean, right, I, right. I, I did a, um, uh, tabletop onlay on a, on a patient number tooth number 14, and it's come off a couple of times, but I talked about it before, right? right? I'd rather not prep your tooth down for a crown for these reasons. Right. Now here's the downside with these tabletop onlays. Cause I don't like doing same day dentistry. Cause I don't like the stress right. of it. Chris does that. Right. I don't, um, it means that you're going to be in a temporary and it's possible the temporary might come off and I'm sorry in advance. Um, this is one of the downsides of the tabletops, but the good news is, is that you're going to have a great right. restoration that will be permanently right. bonded on there and you'll have it for a long, long time. So, right. you know, so he came in yesterday, yesterday morning. Yeah. Yesterday morning, eight o'clock for me to resubmit it. And he's totally cool with it. He gets it. We're saving tooth structure and he's, he's in on that. Yes. You know? I, and I always tell them, you know, Let's try the most conservative thing first. If it doesn't work, we can always be more aggressive later. And they soup. I've never had a patient be like, no, I'll just do the crown part. Like they love it. And they tell, they'll tell my staff, she told me that it might not work. You know, she said that when she did it, but she was really trying. I know she was trying her best to make, to save what she's got. And I, I'm sure for the same for your practice. So I think if you say it in the beginning, it's a reason. If you say it after, it sounds like an excuse, yes, yes. but you know, that's, I'm, Patients respect it and they don't get to see that a lot in offices that people go straight to crown and, you know, they, so it's just even like a little time up front and they tell their friends, like, go to my dentist. She sat there and she went through everything and, you know, that's exactly it. And for people who want to do fee for service dentistry, this is what you have to understand. You got to spend the time. You got to slow it down. You got to be able to explain patients what the treatment options are and guide them through the process. And you can't do it in 15 minutes. You got to spend the time and build these relationships and build trust. And then you can start doing the dentistry, but that's the difference between an insurance dependent practice and a fee for service practice is how you're going to spend the time communicating with your patients. And it's, it's important because everybody has this whole, like, Oh, when I do a startup, I'm going to do fee for service. And and I, obviously it's, 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 you know, it's an ideal practice setup. But one thing I tell dentists is when you're working in insurance practice, they are loyal to the insurance. Yes. You're working in a fee-for-service practice or to the dentist. And that's important to know when you're buying a fee-for-service practice, mm-hmm. because even me coming in with what I thought were all these accolades, the patients were like, wait a second. Now, you know, I was only coming to him outside of my insurance because it was him. Yes. The way our staff kind of worded it was like, listen, if you're going to try a new dentist, you might as well try, try one in the same office that everybody else that you know is in. Exactly. That he handpicked than going to a random insurance dentist. So. Um, and I get this a lot with dentists who buy people for service practices. They want to just, they want to change everything. They they want to go in. They hate the, they hate this. They hate the hygiene. They hate all this. And I'm like, listen, it's so important to keep him. Um, and I kept my previous owner because I loved him and he's a phenomenal. And I still, to this day, if I could have him every day there, I would, but he kept that, that transition where attrition was basically nothing. And he was, he was the one who had to guide it, not me. I had right. to sit back. I sat at the front like a receptionist half the week because it was still his practice. And the patients didn't even know when the actual transition happened. But to do fee-for-service dentistry, you have to really treat 
the patients like, you know, like fam, like they are a family member and you, you have to be sympathetic to the, the changes that are happening yes. in the environment. Um, I almost like I was, I was always compared to the Disney VIP experience. So I did Disney VIP for the first time with my family this past summer. And instantly I went on YouTube and started to find training videos for Disney VIP because it's just every step is just so well done. And like, it's impressionable on right. a customer, you know, and, and that's what you're, you want in your practice, you know. They're valuable, and you have to treat them as such. And it's a different m- mindset than when you're when you're turn, you know turning and burning when you right. are going to sit down and start doing dedicated dentistry and right. build these relationships. Which is for me was why I went into dentistry. Right. I wanted to have these relationships, like you talk, like your uncle spoke about the difference mm-hmm. between going into medicine into dentistry and the ability to have these type of relationships with patients sure. long term. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're selling your practice. <laughs> happening soon let us know <laughs> we are we we are looking everyone out there I listening heard. we are looking to bring someone in to join us uh so we are um we're you know we're fortunate we're, we're too busy and yeah. uh, we need we need help so anyone who's out there listening you can uh dm me on instagram at hartley dds and I will. Can I sell my practice? <laughs> come, come join us. Are you kidding? Chris, Chris would be in heaven, man. You two would be geeking out, and I'd just be sitting there. I'd be in the lab working my composite. I thought I was going to move to Chicago. That was my dream city after residency. My brother lives there, actually. Um, they're in Amherst. And I thought I was going to go to Chicago, but then I, I ended up in Manhattan. So it's you never know. I'm constantly changing. Maybe <laughs> in a year or two, maybe I will. <laughs> the weather's not quite so nice yeah. up here. So, you know, it's I beautiful know. now, but it's, a, it's going to get ready to change soon. It's all fine. It's all fine. Diana, uh, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, you you are you're inspirational i mean the energy that you have and for for our, our dentists out there who are listening to this uh, first of all tell us how they come in uh they're going to find you on instagram at mm-hmm. beauty in the teeth yep beauty in the teeth yep that's my um practice name also so i'm there and then if they want to come in and they want to start learning exocad how do they find you for that yeah so i think the um there's a link on Exocat, my training course is called Exocat Elite. It has its own Instagram page, but I, I'm sure on my my Instagram page it's linked. Um, the classes are full, but there is a wait list, and we just go off the wait list every time we open up a new date. But they can uh, message me too. I, I always like to talk to them directly because I always want to know where a dentist is in the in in this process. You know, yep. it always kind of helps gauge is this going to be a good fit for them. You know, is this something that you want to do? Some of them say, well, I, I'm not going to quite do it yet, but I want to go ahead and take the class. And to that, I say, well, then wait when you're ready, because if mm-hmm. you take the class and you don't get the software and you're going to wait six months, I'm not, you're going to forget everything. You know, right. so I always want to make sure we're finding them at a right time for, for this, you know, entry into digital. Um, so how they, many people, how many people do you, how many participants are in each course? We do about 25, okay. um, 25 is really pushing it. Yeah, me. no doubt. Yeah. It's everybody gets kind of stuck at different points when we're, you know, even when you're just trying to show the workflows For it, sure. and you're, you're dealing with all different types of skill levels too, with computers. Some of them haven't even worked off of a PC computer. Right. In the last That's my problem. I'm so used to yeah. Apple. When I go to a yeah. PC, yeah. I want to bang and, my and head I'm against the wall. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a very resource-heavy software. It's not formatted for Apple. So even right. teaching people how to use a PC computer, mm-hmm. again, is, is can be a thing. So 25 is, is kind of our sweet spot. We bring in Exacad and we bring in Exacad experts. And it's really unique because to get an Exacad expert to sit down for two days straight would cost 
thousands, but right. they come and they fly in. And um, we utilize a lab that uses Exacad all day long. That's evolved dentistry. So generally, what will happen is they'll come to the course um, and then they'll learn. And then if they get stuck in course cases moving forward, they'll use that lab to help them. Um, finish off the case or whatnot, or whichever lab they like. But yeah, so 25 is kind of a small group, but it's all hands-on. And it's a, it's a, it's a lot of information in two days, but it's it's good information. You know, it's, it's how you would do the kind of dentistry you'd want to do. Right. Digital, so... Oh, I'm I'm excited to get down there and and learn it because I've tried I've tried been you can come as our guest of honor. Well, that's very <laughs> sweet. I've I've been looking over Chris's shoulder, but that's not the same as me sitting down and actually doing. I know it, so. it, it's and it's and it's tough. And and you know even me, I still try to look to see if there's any Exacad courses that I could go to. Most of them are international because you learn something from everyone. You know, right. there's no real manual. I created my own for this course, and and, and it's because the software is just limitless. There's so much you can do in it. Um, but it's it's just nice to see how other people do it. I'm sure Chris does things that I didn't even know you could do, you know, and even Exacad when they come like, oh, we didn't even know you could do that with the software. So it's like, there's, there's things that we're all learning it independently. And it's nice to bring everyone together too. It seems like a really sharing environment. I mean, just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking to Chris, it seems people are really open and people are yeah. just, and, you know, as he started with Mesh Mixer and started right, working, yeah. right? And so everyone just sort of, you know, it's a great community, people trying to just bring up the level of what we're able to do. So, it's- and, and that's why I think, I think the reason it is digital dentistry, the community is so solid is because we're all coming from different specialties. There's people who are doing this for surgical. This is the right. one time we're, we're all coming back in, you know, outside of dental school, digital dentistry is bringing us all back together to learn yeah. from each other. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, when you go to AACD or when you go to like oral surgery, you're, you're, you're confined in the same type of demographic, but digital brings us together. And we all kind of set our egos aside because we're learning it together. You would be an a-hole, no offense, to say, <laughs> to say you know everything in digital sure. dentistry because, I mean, even just last week, I got the new version of XCAT and it's totally different. Uh-huh. And we train on it next week. We have to show them, you know, so it's like, you, it's changing too much for you to know it all that well. Right, you know? right, right. And, and, and that's why I haven't, I've rarely come across anybody who has been really egotistical in this. Um, more so it's with the printers. People seem to have printing wars or printers better. But I just, the only liquid resin or liquids I like to fight over is alcohol. I'm not going <laughs> that. So I let them have it. My printer works for me. If you have a, you know, easy bake oven and you're making something out of that, good for you, you know? So, um, but yeah, the, that's why Exacad is so open systems and the procedures you can do and what you're using it for. And I think that's what's drawing all the dentists back together, you know? So. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Diana, thank you. Uh, any parting words for, for our listeners? No, I, I think I said too much. Or <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> They're like, shut this girl up. <laughs> so, so who is Florida State playing this weekend? I've not looked at. Uh... Um, you know what? I actually, I think it's Boston College. Oh, I actually okay. even paid attention. Honestly, I was so, I, I have my workshop coming up next week and I leave for Spain to lecture for Exacad and I put it off on the table. So I well, quite, quite honestly, the way Florida State's been playing, yeah, you don't need, it's okay to not be looking at. I, I, we did pull out the win with LSU, but that was not a big one at all. No, I usually there's about three games that I really care about in the year on a shitty season. No offense. Right. It's usually Clemson and it's UF and Miami. Yeah. Outside of that, I'm like, it is what it is. We're not trying to win a championship this year, but yeah. So well, that's all right. <laughs> All right. For my Dental Online listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us for our ShareCast. And as always, yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley. Well, thanks so much for listening or viewing our ShareCast today. If you enjoy this and you want to get more information from Dental Online Training, 
then check us out at dothandson.com. That's one word, dothandson.com. Now, as a reminder, DOT has so many other great opportunities for your learning. We have our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars where we engage real time with our viewers as we bring in leaders throughout the dental industry to bring you up-to-date information and answer your questions. We have our monthly coffee and donut study club sessions where our participants bring in cases and we treat and plan these cases together to help you bring great treatment to your patients. We have our live virtual workshops where our dental online trainers perform the same techniques from their kits as I'm doing from the comfort of their own home or office. We have our blogs and we have endless selection of our hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the clinical dentistry that you can provide for your patients. That's right. With our on-demand courses, you do these hands-on exercises when the time is right for you. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Dental Online Training. And hey, be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from this sharecast and everything that DOT has to offer. And now, how about one of those coveted five-star ratings? Please go to your site and help us by getting the word out to others. And we'd welcome one of those wonderful five-star ratings. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry.